Good morning, Whitefields. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. Hope you got a Slim Jim, and you have my full permission to eat your Slim Jim while I preach, because these are two things that are great in life. They're blessings from the Lord, uh, is meat and a stick, and the Bible. So, obviously not of equal value, but they're both great. So I'm just going to keep mine here in case I get hungry. All right? All right. So, today we're going to continue our study through Genesis. If you have your Bible, please open up to Genesis chapter 5. We're going to make it a little interactive today. I want you guys to read along with me a little bit. So, um, as we do that, we're going to talk about uh, the issues, some very fundamental issues, as we are throughout Genesis, always talking about fundamental issues. And we're talking about issues of life and death, as well as issues of legacy and heritage. And we're going to talk about what makes for a truly noteworthy life. And, uh, and a life that is significant in the big picture of things. So today's message is very pertinent to fathers, but not just fathers. It's also, it also applies to all of us, men and women, young and old, married and single. And, uh, and you know, the Lord has a message in this section, I believe, for everybody. So may God give us ears to hear what the Spirit's speaking this morning, and the message that God wants to speak through His Word. So let's pray, and we'll ask for the Spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, and we're going to jump right into Genesis chapter 5. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Father heart towards us, Lord. And we want to know that heart that You have for us, Lord. We want to be conformed and transformed into the image of Your Son, And Lord, we want to know what it means to be your children. We want to know what it means to walk with you as children walk with their father. And Lord, we ask that on this Father's Day, Lord, reveal to us your Father's heart. And uh, and Heavenly Father, we ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. And Lord, that this place would be filled with the aroma of the knowledge of Christ, Lord. That it it would just cover us and we would take it from this place as we go out as well. So Lord, we ask that you would come here in a, in a special way and speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, if you got your Bible, Genesis chapter 5, verse 1, it begins like this. This is the book of the generations of Adam. Now let me get you up to speed in case, uh, in case you need that. In the first few chapters of Genesis, we saw how God created the world, and his creation was good. It was very good. And there came a point, though, when man decided to rebel against God. And we saw how that happened. We saw how sin entered into human history, and along with it came death and destruction, and the curse of sin, which affected Everything in this world, it affected nature, it affected relationships, it affected culture. And we're dealing with that today. We're still dealing with that every day. But as soon as sin entered the world, the glorious thing is that we also saw God's plan for redemption. Right there, he introduces it. He says, this is the gospel. This is the way that I'm going to redeem and restore and bring everything to glory. That's the gospel. It's good. It's glorious. It's the reason we're here. It's the reason we love the Lord and seek his face. And and I hope you've noticed that as we go through Genesis, in every chapter, in every single section, we are getting glimpses of the gospel. 
Because really the gospel, which, which as I said, is God's plan to redeem and restore that which has been affected and corrupted by sin and to bring all of that to future glory. This is the story of the whole Bible. Uh, every chapter and every story gives us a glimpse of that gospel from a different angle. And, and as we study the whole counsel of the scriptures, we get the full picture. It all comes together and we get the full picture of what the gospel is and what the implications of the gospel are for our lives. And, and in my goal, I have to tell you this so you're not surprised, I, but I think you know this already. My goal every Sunday is to reveal the gospel from whatever passage I'm talking about, is to, to see how that points to Jesus and just reveal the gospel and lay it out there for you. And the reason that's so important is because I believe that the gospel message has the power to transform our lives, has the power to transform our hearts, and the implications of the gospel, as we let them sink in, as we just behold the gospel, the implications of it do practically change the way that we think, the way that we live, the way that we deal with other people. So here we are in Genesis chapter 5, the book of the generations of Adam. Now this chapter is a genealogy. Now let me ask you, how many of you guys... Uh, love to read the genealogies in the Bible. You just get pumped up. You are pumped up this morning when, I, when you heard that this is a genealogy. You're like, yes. Uh, you're excited, you're pumped up, and we're studying a genealogy, and you're just stoked. Uh, I have to tell you, honestly, I am excited about this section. A few years ago, I was a guest speaker at a missions conference, and I actually spoke from this exact passage, believe it or not, and you'll see why. Um, Honestly, I'd have to say this too. I think some of the more obscure parts of the Bible, more obscure sections of scripture, are some of the most exciting to study in a church setting, like a corporate setting like this, because the message isn't always obvious. Sometimes it takes a bit of work. It takes a little bit of digging and a little research to get into what is God really communicating here. So, what we have here in Genesis chapter 5, a genealogy that goes from Adam to Noah, and it covers 1,656 years of human history. That's a long time. It's essentially not a complete family tree. It's actually just one branch of a family tree. Not the whole thing. It's just one line, like I said, flowing from Adam through Seth and down to Noah. Now, I listened to Jeff's sermon from last Sunday, and I have to say that Jeff really hit the nail on the head last Sunday. You know, he talked about, from chapter 4, the descendants of Cain, and, and really got to the heart of what the section is about. It's the story of seven generations who descended from Cain, who considered God irrelevant. They tried to push God out of their lives. They lived apart from God, as if God didn't matter and had no authority over them whatsoever. And that is so relevant, right, to the time that we live in today, where so many people live with that exact same mindset. But in Genesis chapter 4, as Jeff showed us last week, we also see where that kind of thinking, where that kind of lifestyle ends up, where it leads to. And uh, so there at the end of Genesis chapter 4, we read that after Cain and Abel, God gave Adam another son named Seth. And Seth had a son Enosh, and we read that in those days, people began calling upon the name of the Lord. And that's a really interesting statement, right? Uh, most Bible scholars, you know, they debate over what that means, but most agree that what that's referring to is that in the time of Seth, and when he had a son, his son Enosh, that people began to regularly 
worship the Lord. Kind of have church, you know? And and the picture we get of, of Seth is that he is a person who knows the Lord. He calls out to the Lord and he is leading his children and his grandchildren in the worship of the Lord, teaching them also to call on the name of the Lord. So whereas chapter 4 is about the descendants of Cain, a man who refused to repent of his sin, who pushed God out of his life, told God to get lost, uh, went out from the presence of the Lord and lived apart from God and then raised his children to also live apart from God. In contrast to that, now we look at chapter 5, which is the descendants of Seth, a man who, unlike his brother Cain, did call on the name of the Lord and taught others to call on the name of the Lord. And what we're going to see is that the legacy that Seth leaves behind is contrasted with the legacy that Cain left behind. And and what's interesting is this, that that not all of Seth's descendants walked with the Lord. Some of them did, some of them didn't. In, In contrast to that, though, none of Cain's descendants that we know of knew the Lord. You know, all of us who are believers, especially, you know, if we have children, we desire that our children would grow up to know the Lord and walk with the Lord and love the Lord and be born again. That is our desire for our kids. Because we've come to know the goodness of the Lord. We want them to know it too. But in the end, we can't make that decision for them. And that is such a difficult thing to to grasp as a parent because you wish you could, you know? You, You know the saying that God only has children. He doesn't have grandchildren. You know, every person on the earth has to choose for themselves whether or not they will call on the name of the Lord, whether or not they will choose to walk with the Lord, whether or not they will put their faith in the gospel. However, as parents and grandparents, what we can do is we can create a legacy, a heritage that we pass down to our kids of walking with the Lord and calling on the name of the Lord and worshiping the Lord. We can choose to set an example for them to follow and say, kids, this is what it looks like. This is what I'm doing. Watch me and follow me. This is what's important in life. Pray to God. Trust God. Love God. Know God. Worship God. I know there are some of you in here who have that kind of godly legacy that you come from in your family. Maybe your parents were believers and they taught you by example what it means to know the Lord and walk with him. Maybe some of you would say, well, my parents weren't believers, but there were other people in my family, my aunt or my uncle or my grandparents, and they walked with the Lord and they showed that to me. They introduced that to me. Uh, Others of you, maybe you don't have that kind of legacy in the family, but you can choose to be like Seth, right? A man who knew the Lord, called on the name of the Lord, and created a legacy for his children and his grandchildren. You know, godly men aspire to be good fathers and good grandfathers. You know, Jonathan Edwards, he was the great American theologian and preacher from the Great Awakening, And he said that every day he would pray for five generations of his descendants because he said he wanted to be a patriarch like Abraham. Seth here is a patriarch, right? He sets the tone for the pursuant generations of his descendants. They didn't all walk with the Lord, but the tone was set that God was important, that he was relevant, and that calling out to him was a priority in life. And men... I speak to you now. Do you know that? Do you know that, men, that as a husband, as a father, as the head of your household, you set the tone. You create the culture 
in your household, in your family. And that will greatly affect your children and your grandchildren. You play a very important role. And, and as we look at this genealogy, let me point out from the very beginning, it's Father's Day, I've got to point this out. This is patriarchal, right? It's very patriarchal. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5. It says, When God created man, he made them in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. Now, this chapter is called The Generations of Adam, right? The book of the generations of Adam. It says that when God created the man and the woman, he blessed them and he named them man. Or as some of your translations say, he named them Adam because the name Adam in Hebrew literally means man. And so what that means is that Adam and Eve got married and Eve took Adam's name. When Adam and Eve sinned, Adam was held responsible. See, this is patriarchal. Uh, Genesis traces the family histories through the male line. The men are the heads of each successive generation. In fact, every major society in the world has been patriarchal. Even our American society is patriarchal. When people get married or when people have children, the general practice is that they take the name of the husband or the father. And again, men, that only serves to point out that God is telling you that you play a very important role in the life of your family, in the life of your children, in the life of not just your children, but your descendants. You know, God's desire is that men would step up and lead their families. And the tone that we set for our families is very important. The culture that we create in our families is very important. It affects not only our kids, but we see in, gener in Genesis, we, what we see is that it affects generations of our descendants. And therefore, men, we need to desire to be godly patriarchs who leave behind a legacy of walking with the Lord and calling on the name of the Lord and trusting in the Lord and worshiping in the Lord because it's going to have a ripple effect that will outlive you. It will last for generations to come. And, and you know, we are all very much affected by those who came before us. And we will very much affect those who come after us. So men, become godly patriarchs. You're not just the dad of some little kids. You are a patriarch who, who unless Jesus comes back, you are going to be somebody's grandfather, somebody's great-grandfather, and you need to make it a priority to leave them a godly legacy to follow. You know, look at the legacy of Cain, a man who just pushed God out of his life, and look at the legacy of Seth, who called upon the name of the Lord. These two are juxtaposed with each other, and it's very much purposeful, as we'll see. Check out the long-term effects of their lives. Seth was eventually the great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather of Jesus. And he was also the grandfather of a few other pretty significant people who walked with the Lord. Noah, Abraham, King David, a whole bunch of them. That's his legacy. So let's read this genealogy and I'll just uh, warm you up to it. Here's what's going to happen. In this chapter, some people are born and then they die. Okay? That's really heartwarming, right? Super encouraging. Nothing but just breakneck encouragement this morning. Uh, you know, there are certain Bible verses that people write down and put on their bathroom mirror and write on Facebook 
or make a cross stitch out of, you know, and hang in their living room, or they get a tattoo of it. Well, I guarantee you nobody's getting tattoos of verses here in Genesis chapter 5. Nobody's making a cross stitch of, and then Adam lived for 950 years, and he had a son, and then he died. You know what I mean? It's just not the uh, most exciting stuff in the world, but uh, we're going to read it. And you know what I find about reading a genealogy is it's kind of like reading the phone book, you know? I even, I have an image here for you. There, just give you a visual, remind you. Okay, reading a genealogy is a lot like reading a phone book. Why? Because these are a bunch of names of people that you have never met. And you really don't know much about them other than, you know, their address and their phone number. And, you know, they were born, they had a kid, they died. That's it. Um, But I believe that God has a really important message here for us. So stick with me. We're going to make this a bit interactive. So if you could just, uh, I'll I'll give you a cue. Okay, ready? Then Adam lived 130 years. He fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. He died. That will ruin your day. That is a, uh, you know, um, yeah. He died. That's not a good note to end on, right? It's really anticlimactic. It'll ruin your day. One thing you'll notice in this chapter is that people live a really long time. Jeff talked about this last week. So all I want to point out here is that even though they all lived for a long time, eventually they all got old and they died. And this really brings us back to the curse of sin, which is death. We see that after Adam sinned, sin entered the world and it had the effect that everybody died. Death is extremely fatal. The statistics are off the charts. 10 out of 10 people die. This is the reality that we all live with. We, we have a certain number of years on this earth, but eventually we're all going to die. So let's continue on. Verse 6, Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years and he he died. You're picking up the theme, right? Everybody lives for a while and then they die. In the middle, they have a few kids and then they die, right? Let's carry on. This is, this is getting interesting. Verse 9. Then Enosh had lived for 90 years, and he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Really a bit anticlimactic, right? Uh, he was born, he had a kid, he died. There's no, nothing else. There's no elaboration. It's not like he had a kid. And let me tell you, he was a great guy. No, nothing like that. Or, you know, and, you know, he lived for this long and he was promoted to middle management and he got a corner office with a window. Or, you know, no, nothing like that. Or like, you know, he had a lot of friends and he was really good at sports and he drove a really nice car. Nothing. We don't know anything about them. All we know is he was born, he lived for a while, he had a kid, then he died. That's it. Because in the grand scheme of things... The rest of it doesn't matter, right? All we're left with in the end is he lived, then he died, kind of like a tombstone, right? Born, died. That's all we know. Encouraging, right? Happy Father's Day. So, verse 12. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahaliel. 
Kenan lived after he fathered Mahaliel 840 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. Thank you. When Jared had lived, or sorry, I, no, I got it. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Yeah. Okay, so think about this. What is the, uh, what's the predominant mood that comes upon you when you read this chapter? Like, how does it make you feel? What feeling do you feel just swelling up inside of you? And let me ask you this. Is there any of you who would honestly just say, when I read this section, I find sections like this to be a bit boring, right? You feel a little bit bored. And some of us, we, we don't want to say that because we feel bad saying that about the Bible. But I'm going to tell you what, I don't think you should feel bad. In fact, I think you should embrace that. Because in a way, that is the very point of this section. It's not meant to be spectacular. It's not meant to be riveting. It's not meant to be intriguing. It's not meant to even be all that interesting. So just embrace that. It's a section which gives us a view of human history from God's point of view, and that's what God says. 1,600 years, it was not spectacular, it was not intriguing, it was not riveting, it was not interesting, just a bunch of people lived, then they died. This is the zoomed out, big picture glimpse of life for 1,600 years. And what do we see? That for over 1,000 years of human history, there was nothing that God found worth mentioning. He said nothing happened. Nothing. Nothing noteworthy. And, he, and here's what it has to say about life. Now, just be prepared. It's, gonna, it's not getting any more. It's going to get a little bit depressing before it gets better. So just be prepared. There are a lot of people who are born. This is the picture of life that we get from this. A lot of people are born. They eat breakfast. They go to work. They sin. They have a few kids. Then they die. And that's life. There you go. Most people make the newspaper twice, when they're born and when they die. And if they make the newspaper in the meantime, it's usually because they committed a crime. You don't want to make the newspaper again, you know? And, and some people would say humanity is making progress. We're getting somewhere. We're getting better. Just give us more time. Well, here's 1,600 years of human history. No progress, no evolution, just born, sinned, had kids, died. Then his kids did the exact same thing. And, and although as human history has gone on, right, we have gotten better technology. Now we have computers and iPads and cars and air conditioning and lots of stuff. Still, we're still the same old human beings that we were back at that time. Who are born and sin and then live a few years and then die. In fact, if this chapter teaches us anything, it's not that we're evolving and making progress, but that we're devolving. Right? Because these guys lived a lot longer than we do. <laughs> there was something going on that was better at that time because they were living for a long time, you know? Uh, people started out in Genesis, at the beginning of Genesis, in a relationship with God. They weren't just cavemen who, you know, came up with this concept of God that evolved over time, but rather we see that we started out, we began with dignity, we began in relationship with God, and we devolved from there. We devolved from turning away from God to, to rejecting the concept of God that we were given from creation, 
We're devolving. There's no evolution here. What actually Genesis is teaching us is a process of devolution as a result of sin. I heard one person say it like this. Human history is a stationary bike. Every generation gets on, pedals really hard, pedal, 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 and then dies, and then falls off the bike, and the next generation gets on and pedals, 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 pedals really hard, sweat, toil, exertion, they die, they fall off the bike, the next generation gets on the same thing, but it's just a stationary bike. We're not getting anywhere. Another person put it this way, human history is like driving around a cul-de-sac. Around and around and around the cul-de-sac we go, we enjoy the scenery. Hey, look at that tree, isn't that a great tree? Yeah, but it's the same tree that we've been looking at for a really long time. We're just going in circles, we're not really getting anywhere. So then it comes our turn, our generation's turn, to pedal the stationary bike. We get on, we pedal as hard as we can, we sweat and we toil, and then in the end, we die. And our kids take our place and do the exact same thing that we did. You're saying, Nick, this is Father's Day, and you're bumming me out, man. I know, I know, it's meant to bum you out. That is the very point of this chapter. I'm just trying to get to the heart of it. But I do have a point with all this, so you got to stick with me. This is the picture of human life that we get from this chapter. You're born, you sin, you die. In the middle, you pump out a few kids. Your kids are born, they sin, they die. This could go on forever. Born, sin, die. Born, sin, die. Eternally. This chapter covers 1,600 years of human history all at once. This is almost as much as the rest of the Bible combined. And you wonder, why did God move so fast through such a huge period of human history? Why doesn't he tell us more about these people who lived and what happened to them and what happened during these time periods? Because apparently there was nothing to talk about. There was nothing noteworthy, with one important exception which we see in the next few verses. In 1,600 years of human history, there's only one guy who's worth saying anything about. There's one guy who stands out from the crowd. There's one guy whose life is noteworthy. And let's check that out in verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he married Methuselah. He got, he got married young, you know. Somebody was robbing the cradle, 65 years. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch didn't die. He walked with God and he was not, for God took him. And just to clarify, in case we just think he disappeared, Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that Enoch did not die. Enoch only lived for 365 years. That's a lot shorter than the rest of the guys. He probably couldn't even claim Social Security back in the day, only living 365 years, you know? There was something different about Enoch. He walked with God. That is different. That's different than everybody else. There's something different about Enoch, you know? Everybody else just dies. Enoch walked with God and went to heaven. Now that makes a big difference, doesn't it? The concept of walking with God. This is a really interesting one. It's a theme which runs throughout the entire Bible, even into the New Testament. Adam and Eve were the first people to walk with God. They walked with him in the garden in the cool of the day. Enoch walked with God. Noah will walk with God. Abraham and Isaac will walk with God. And this metaphor continues on throughout the whole Bible, even in the New Testament. And the question it poses to us is, do you walk with God? 
Because apparently, what we see in this section here and throughout the Bible, walking with God is one of the most important, most significant things you could possibly do. We're all born into this world that's corrupted by sin. We are sinners. The wages of sin is death. That means that we are all going to die. There's no way around it. You could go out and spend a fortune on supplements, and you'll live for an extra 15 minutes, but sooner or later, you're going to die. No matter how hard you try, no matter how, how hard, no matter how long you live, maybe you will live to be 900 years old, but sooner or later, you're going to die, and so am I. And what we see from Enoch is this. There's only one way to beat death and live forever, and that is to walk with God. To walk with God simply means to have a close, personal relationship with God, right? In English, we have this saying that uh, the people that we spend a lot of time with, that's the crowd that we run with. This is the same kind of metaphor. Think about it. Who are the people that you go for long walks with? What's people that you have a relationship with? Your spouse, your kids, your friends. And those long walks with people that you love, those are nice Because usually it's time which you spend sharing together, sharing life together, getting to know each other, building relationship that you already have. So this is the picture that the Bible has chosen to describe what a relationship with God should look like ideally. It should be a walk with God. It should be, there should be an intimacy which comes from relationship. It means spending time and investing in building up that relationship. You know, my son, uh, Nate, he's four years old, and he still likes to hold my hand when we're out walking around. I don't know how long that's going to last, but I'll take it as long as he's going to give it. You know, the picture we get here of God is similar to that. God is a father, and we are his kids, and to walk with God is to take God's hand and walk with him. You know, like a child who says, my dad's a good dad, so wherever dad goes, that's where I'm going. Whatever dad's doing, that's what I'm doing. Because my dad's a good dad, and he loves me, and he protects me, and he takes care of me, and he leads me, and he watches out for me. And I want to be close to my dad because it's always safe where dad's at. And I'll do what dad says because I know that that my dad loves me, and he wants the best for me. That is the essence of faith in God. That's the essence of walking with God. It's more than simply believing in God conceptually or intellectually. Uh, More than just, you know, saying, yes, I believe that God exists. The question we have to ask ourselves is, do I walk with God as a friend? Do I walk with God as a friend who knows me and I know him? Do I walk with God as a child of God? Walking with my father because there's no better place to be than where he's at. Enoch didn't just believe in God, but he walked with God. And then something incredible happened. God took him away. He didn't die. God simply took him. Enoch walked with God, and God took him to heaven. There are only two people in the Bible who never died. One is Enoch. The other is Elijah the prophet. God took him too, just like he took Enoch. But here's the point of the story. Because sin is in this world, the curse of sin, which is death, right? Every person in this world is born a sinner, they live for a few years, and then they die. There's no way around it except to walk with God. And then if you walk with God, you know what happens? You don't die, you get taken by God 
into the presence of God. You know, Paul the Apostle, he said, to be apart from the body is to be in the presence of God. You, you don't die, you go to heaven and you live forever. Even in the New Testament, Paul the Apostle, when he talked about the believers who had passed away, he didn't say that they died, he said that they, fall, they fell asleep. You know, isn't that a great picture of Christian faith and the hope that the gospel gives us? We're all going to pass away someday. We're all going to die physically. But if we walk with God, if we have a relationship with God through faith in Christ Jesus, through the finished work on the cross, then we don't just die. We get taken from this life, taken into God's eternal rest, into the fullness of the kingdom, into the presence of the King. If we walk with the Father now, when our time on earth is over, our Father just takes us to be home. That is the hope of the gospel. The only way to deal with sin, the only way to escape death, is to walk with God. Not just believe in God theoretically, conceptually, but to actually walk with God in relationship with Him, in faith in Him. You know, to walk, that's an active verb. It denotes activity, not passivity. And to walk, it it denotes a continuous action. The only hope we have is to walk with God. So let me ask you the question which is posed by this chapter. The question is, do you walk with God? You need to answer that one for yourself, between you and God. Do you walk with God? Does that describe your lifestyle? Do you hear his voice? Do you follow his leading? Do you walk with him? I hope you do. And if if by chance anyone's sitting here and they're saying to themselves, honestly, I probably don't walk with him, uh, then, then today is the day that all that can change. You can begin walking with him by faith, in real relationship with him, with the God who is your maker, your sustainer, and your savior. So let's go on to see what else happens from verse 25. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived, after he fathered Lamech, 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. Methuselah is the oldest man in the Bible, 969 years, he, uh, but he dies just like everybody else. His dad walked with God and went to heaven. But we don't read the same thing about Methuselah. We only read that just like everybody else who came before, he lived, he was born, he he had a few kids, and then he died. And there's an interesting point here, and that's this, that a lot of people are concerned with living a long life, right? But they neglect to think that they're, they neglect to, to think about the fact that there's more to be worried about than just this life. Enoch lived a short life, but he walked with God and went to heaven. Methuselah had a long life, but it doesn't seem that he walked with God and went to heaven. You know, eternity is is a lot longer than 969 years. And the point of this story is this. It doesn't just matter how long you live. It matters how well you live, who you live for, and who you walk with. Verse 28. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. 
So the pattern continues. The wages of sin is death. The result of sin is death. Everybody dies. The question is, will you choose to walk with God and live? You know, the point of Genesis chapter 5 is this. For for 1,656 years of human history, there was nothing worth mentioning except for one guy who walked with God and went to heaven. That made all the difference. That is what made him stand out from the crowd. That's what made his life significant. And there was nothing else worth mentioning from God's perspective. Do you want to live a life that God considers noteworthy? Do you want to live a life that matters and makes a difference for eternity and makes a difference once you've left this earth? All of us want that. Then we need to follow the example of Enoch. Walk with God and go to heaven and help other people to walk with God and go to heaven because there's an interesting side note to Enoch's story. In the book of Jude in the New Testament, if you have it, you can check it out. Enoch, the seventh descendant of of Adam, that's the person we're talking about here, he is mentioned as a prophet of God who preached a message of repentance from sin. Isn't that cool? Enoch wasn't just a man who walked with God, but he was a prophet of God. He preached a message of repentance from sin. And, and, and I think something else is really interesting here, and that's this, that Enoch's service to God as a prophet is not mentioned in Genesis chapter 5. All, all it, and, that, and that actually reveals something very important about the heart of God. That God, as he was recording history, he did not find it necessary or important to mention the ministry which Enoch did for him. The only thing that God wanted to mention about Enoch, that God saw as important to mention about Enoch for us to know, is that Enoch walked with him and went to heaven. That's what God was excited about. That's what got his heart pumping faster. Enoch walked with him. That's what he wanted to share with people. Not the ministry that Enoch did for him, but the fact that Enoch walked with him and knew him, the relationship that Enoch had with him. I think that is such an important lesson for all of us in our task-oriented society that we live in today. Know this, God isn't primarily interested in the stuff that you do for him. What he's really excited about is when people walk with him. That's what he considers noteworthy. You know what else sticks out from the story of Enoch? He walked with God for 300 years, all the way up until the time that God took him. You know, we saw a lot of big numbers, but 300 years is a long time. And that means, you know what it means to me? It means that Enoch finished well. Man, I, I want to be somebody who finishes well. There are so many people who start things with so much enthusiasm. But not all of them finish, and even fewer finish well. There are people who start walking with God, but not all those who begin to walk with him finish the race. You know, the goal of Satan is to knock us out. It's to knock us out of the race. My prayer for us as a church, for every person who attends this church, and for myself, is that we would not only walk with God with enthusiasm, but that we would be people who finish well. You know, dads, husbands, anybody can go out and get married. Anybody can go out and make a few kids. But let's make it our goal and our prayer that by God's grace we would be men who finish well and who leave a legacy. 
as parents, as husbands, and as men of God. So let's hear the message of Genesis chapter 5. Let me just wrap it all up for you before we pray. Let us be people like Enoch, who don't just believe in God's existence, but who walk with God and go to heaven, and who help other people to walk with God and go to heaven. Let us be people who finish well the race which is set before us as children of God, as parents, as spouses, all of the callings which God places on our lives. Let us, by God's grace, be able to finish well. And let us be people, finally, who leave behind a godly legacy, like Seth did. A legacy of calling on the name of the Lord, of walking with the Lord. Because we see that although not all of them did, many of Seth's descendants, like Enoch, Noah, Abraham, David, even Jesus, they were people who benefited from that godly legacy and who knew the Lord themselves. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your heart towards us. We thank you, Lord, that the thing which you find most noteworthy, most compelling, is when people know you and walk with you and are in relationship with you. And Lord, I pray for all of us in here that we would be people who walk with you. Lord, if there's anyone here today who would say, honestly, I do not really walk with the Lord, Lord, I pray that today everything would change. Lord, I pray that you would stir their heart and you would touch them with your love and with your grace. And Lord, I pray also that you would give us grace to be godly parents, godly spouses, godly children, Lord, that we could leave a legacy behind. We need your grace, Lord. We need your strength in order to do that. And we pray that you would give us that. In Jesus' name, amen.